This is kind of how I feel. Do every at bat that's kind of quote unquote used should be done in a worthwhile manner. Should be telling you something about the future. And on a fundamental level, you want to either be winning now or winning later. And if the things you do with these at bats don't do either, then Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless You Boys podcast. BlessYouBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. And I have a special guest for you, Dan Samborski from Fangraphs and the creator, operator of the Zips projection system, which we use constantly. Dan, how's it going tonight? It's going pretty well. Yourself? I'm doing pretty well. Hanging in there, you know. Trying to enjoy the last bits of fall here. Um, well, I don't know, maybe not the last bits, but the last bits of summer hey, fall, is probably more accurate. <laughs> fall doesn't even start for like six days. Yeah, yeah. It's we start- will not have this 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 non weather thing here where we're talking about the end of fall. <laughs> where do you uh, where do you live generally, if I may ask? I am in Ohio. I'm from Baltimore. Oh, okay. So you're all in the same weather belt generally as we are. Yep. Yeah, so I mean, I'm in Ohio. I'm not like one of those the Ohio State people or anything. It's just. <laughs> out here for family reasons i'm not i don't want to get into a big 10 fight <laughs> yeah that won't happen with me but not yeah and you're not a, you're not a midwest native you're a you're an east coaster who's been moved into the flat plains of ohio yeah well i mean it's not like it's iowa well that's true <laughs> there are yeah. hills here and the tornadoes aren't super bad usually so it's it's kind of like on the edge of the midwest yeah there's water you know there's cities you got that going for you yeah yeah, and really inexpensive housing, which is also nice. Yeah, that is the best part for sure. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I need to to fund my life as a as a lonely middle aged man living in a five bedroom house. <laughs> you kind of need the Midwest. I can't do that in San Francisco. No, no, yeah, that's true. That's difficult there. Difficult. That's millions of dollars a year. <laughs> yeah, and I need a raise for that. Yeah, but I digress. Yeah, well, I'd advocate for a raise for you. Absolutely. Okay, I don't know if that works, but maybe I'll just keep names like Melissa so I can say, hey, Dave, all these people want to give me a raise. That's right. I've got Dave Appleman's uh, email now, so I can help you out maybe. <laughs> well, don't, don't start writing him emails. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you'd like that. Besides, he just had a baby, so he's, 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 he's thinking about uh, money for him, I think, at this point. Uh, so he doesn't want to be harassed by <laughs> random bloggers he doesn't no, know to pay his no, employees no. more? <laughs> well... Yeah, I mean, you guys have um, Fangraphs is, you know, obviously I read Fangraphs every day. I'm a, a Fangraphs member. I'm super into your site. Um, you guys went through a lot of changes, it seems like, over the past year. I mean, obviously, like losing Eno Saris, um, Carson Sestouli, like a lot of people who'd been around for a long time. And yet, you know, you guys just seem to, to roll right along. Um, has it been, have, has you felt like any kind of a year of transition or is it just, you know, business as usual there? Well, I mean, I'm part of the year transition because remember I was at ESPN from oh, 2010 to 2018, uh, and I was always just kind of a friend of Fangraphs mm. uh, until uh, last year where we discussed and I made the jump. Uh, I guess I guess I'm one of the few baseball writers who left ESPN voluntarily and didn't get <laughs> laid off. So that, that's a, that's a, that's a plus on my resume, I guess. Yep. I I still I mean I still contribute a few pieces a month uh, to ESPN, but I'm I'm full Fangraphs, but but. The, the analytics committee, it always shifts around. I mean, you have a lot of the same people, but people want to try new things. Uh, Jeff Sullivan, uh, he had an opportunity with the Rays he wanted to look at. Uh, Carson Sestouli saw a job that was tailored to him in, in Toronto, the same with Dave Cameron in San Diego. So people move on to different things. It's, it's the way of life, uh, sunrise, sunset. Yep, yep, that's just the way it goes sometimes. 
I don't know how much you pay attention to the Tigers, but, um, you know, based on another, you know, terrible season where we're obviously going to finish finish in the cellar, um, and we appreciate you coming to visit us here in the dank Michigan basement <laughs> of Tigers I, baseball. Remember, I'm, I'm from Baltimore originally, <laughs> so I'm an Orioles fan, so yep, I'm so not afraid of cellars and, and spiders that live down there and, and Royals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, do you have any sense like of how this year has gone, you know, for the Tigers organizationally, like overall, the minor leagues, the major league club, the whole thing? I would kind of say in the middle. I like a lot of the things that the Tigers have going for them, but there's also a lot of things that, that kind of concern me. I wouldn't count me in as like the biggest fan of the front office, I think. I don't think it's one of the top tier front offices. I mean, I like I like the pitching prospects they have in the minors. I think anybody would. I still have concerns about them developing hitters. Yeah. And I and long term, I kind of wonder how aggressive they really are making moves when they're necessary. Because you see a lot. I mean, yeah, they weren't going to trade Miguel Cabrera uh, even before the contract. But they're always they always seem to be like a year too late with trading guys. Uh, and the Reds kind of did that, and that 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 hurts your rebuild in a way because I I, I suspect that the Cubs got I mean, the Tigers got less for uh, Nicholas Castellanos than they would have a year ago. Uh, I think that they probably could have gotten more for Victor Martinez uh, at the start of that season or even in the season before. Uh, you, you can go on and on. I mean, I'm sure that most Tigers fans, especially you know the the more stat savvy ones, that that, that would be on your site probably also feel like that they could have gotten a lot better value for Fulmer if they didn't think he was an ace for some reason after his rookie year. So I think it's a team that doesn't necessarily always grab the bull by the horns, uh, but it's not one of the teams I consider to be in the baseball equivalent of development hell. Like the Royals are, <laughs> I feel, I think the Rockies are headed in that direction. I think the angels are even to a degree, uh, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. The angels are kind of interesting because when Billy Epler took over there, I, you know, I kind of expected more and, you know, obviously they, they made some good moves. They got Joe Adele in the farm system. They, you know, they definitely found some hitters there, but um, they still have, have had zero luck building a pitching staff. And then they hired Brad Osmus, which for those of us in Detroit is a bit of a red <laughs> flag, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If there, if there was a, if there was a bland doctrinaire use of the bullpen, Brad Osmus has it like down pat. <laughs> I mean, you always heard him talking about like, well, like, how how could I use that picture? He's my seventh inning picture. Yeah, can't use him in the eighth. Yeah, uh, it was like I having mean, uh, Jim Leland without all the experience. You know, is how it felt. <laughs> yeah, but but with Jim Leland, you can make you know jokes about like smoking. I mean, so many smoking jokes with him. He was way more fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was something entertaining about about him. Uh, I, I guess when you want your manager to not be perfect, it's fun to have them be old and characterful. And and Osmus isn't really that type yet yeah that's why we have guardy now so you know we can get the dad jokes you know and the the santa beard going and uh, have some good times have some some yucks while we wait for this thing to turn around yeah you know chris illich um who's the president of the tigers was out the other day and you know you don't expect the owner to come out and you know to say anything other than that things are going according to plan but um i i guess the way i've kind of phrased it is that it really has felt like the tigers plan has almost been like the complete you know completely opposite of the way the game is going at, at exactly the wrong time. Like the Tigers spent tons on free agents, you know, say 2014, 2016, they did it again. 
And that was right almost at the tipping point where teams decided like, no, no, you know, the expensive free agent thing is, is over with. We're going to hang on to our prospects. So when the Tigers went to go ahead and trade J.D. Martinez and Justin Verlander, all of a sudden the returns weren't as good as we saw a few years ago. And yet the whole organization kind of still sort of floats this idea that we're in a rebuild of the sort that like the Cubs or the Astros um, managed to produce. And it just feels like, you know, the time for all that, you know, was, was already over by the time, you know, the Tigers got started. I mean, does that, does that kind of ring a bell at all or seem? I, I, I don't think it's as bleak as you paint a picture because I mean, the Astros and Cubs, they didn't just rebuild from trading veterans. I mean, that's just one part of it. And they didn't even get it just from the draft. Obviously you get a Carlos Correa from the draft. That's a big deal. You get Chris Bryant. That's a big deal. Uh, but really it's just a lot of throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks because the thing about a rebuilding team is they have the ability to take risks that contending teams can't. Uh, you, I, I think of Dallas Keuchel with the Astros. He was not a top prospect at, at the time that he made the majors. Uh, but the Astros had the time to look at him in a more effective way than, say, a contending team could. Uh, the Yankees wouldn't have been able to afford it to uh, – couldn't afford to – have a Dallas Keuchel in the rotation for two years, waiting to see what happens with him if if everything clicks with him. Uh, but the Astros could, and so they had a lot of players that like that. Even like Jose Altuve was yeah. not a top top prospect. He was not a one of the people who made like the you know, the top hundred prospects list like for five years as he came up through the minors. Uh, I think that what the Tigers have to be is they have to take advantage of situations, see opportunities, because what Houston and and the Dodgers do, and of course the Dodgers have a lot of money, which helps also, sure. uh, the Do- and the Cubs, is they're very opportunistic. And that's what the Tigers have to do. When they see someone on the waiver wire who's interesting, they have to go for it. Uh, I think a classic example of a team that doesn't do this is, is the Rockies. Uh, earlier earlier this, this year, uh, when when they traded Mike Talkman to the Yankees, uh, I, I said at the time that that Mike Talkman is not going to be a star. I don't even know if he's going to be a good player. But the point was that the Rockies didn't really care to find out about that. They they traded him to the Yankees and guys like Talkman who are interesting but risky are 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 who the Tigers should be looking at adding players like that. Uh, I think the Royals are another good example with Brian Goodwin. I wasn't honestly a fan of Brian Goodwin uh, coming into the season. I thought he had a pretty mixed resume, but where the, where the Royals were, they chose Lucas Duda over someone who could have been good. Uh, and when you play enough of those guys who could have been good, you find players who actually are good. Uh, the Rockies and Tom Murphy, Tom Murphy's having a, a surprisingly good season for the Mariners. Uh, I mean, not every player you pick up like this is going to be a star by any chance, but you have to kind of think of it like you're going to a flea market and you're like one of those flea market shows they used to have on PBS. I don't know if they still have those because uh, I don't know if they're still trendy because that was like 20 years ago. <laughs> but you have to find like treasure everywhere. It's not just drafting well. And of course you have to draft well. And then I think one of the positives about the Tigers is I have more of a faith that when the time comes, the Tigers could invest in their team at the major league level, a way that the uh, the Royals and the White Sox might not. So that is something they have going for them. Yeah, or at least may have go- going for them. Cause may have. I don't want to say a guarantee or anything, because I don't think Chris Illich is going to spend as much as his dad. Uh, 
Yeah, because, there's a there's a lot of people who you know who really think that you know Chris Illich is kind of just waiting for you know for his his mom to, to unfortunately to pass away before you know they just decide to sell the team, and I think that's got a lot of people scared that you know we're just going to stay in this holding pattern, um, you know may, maybe for another four or five years with them you know trying trying to turn it around, but uh, but not really being that interested in investing you know much more capital anyway in, in the team. But either way, they're not the Marlins, so. Take that to heart. Like, yeah, the Marlins have won more games this year, but you'd rather be the Tigers than the Marlins. <laughs> yep. Okay. So one of the things Chris Illich um, did bring up is, you know, every year he, he said, you know, I take a look at the prospect rankings. And as long as we're move up, moving up in the pros, you know, the prospect rankings generally, I feel pretty good about it. Um, I mean, w- what is your take on that? Because, yeah, the Tigers, I mean, I think you guys have the Tigers ninth right now overall. Um, but I do look and I see, you know, Miami way ahead of us. Um, Arizona, these are teams that, you know, theoretically started after us, although you could define that kind of however you want, but, um, but do seem to have kind of got the jump on us a little bit as far as overall farm system value, whatever that really means to you. Well, we'll think of it this way. It's not really a race. Yeah. Maybe the Tigers got a slow start, but that just might mean that it takes a little longer. Uh, I I don't think that you have to worry about the race. I mean, having good pitching prospects and one of the nice things about the Tigers is that the pitching prospects are generally fairly advanced. When you look at the names that are the good pitching prospects on the team, you know, Mize and Manning and so on, they're guys who have already survived that kind of, you know, rookie league, low A's, high A, <laughs> that, that kind of gauntlet, which kind of weeds out a lot of pitchers. I mean, that's why Baseball Prospectus coined the, the, the acronym years ago, TINSTAP. There is no such thing as a pitching prospect, which, of course, isn't literally true, but it's a, it's a good thing to remember. Yeah. Uh, I, I, and, you know, getting Joey Wentz is still interesting, and I, I think that they, they could put together an above-average rotation fairly quickly. Uh, because really the rotation isn't even that bad this year. I think I think Spencer Turnbull's a legitimate mid-rotation guy that they can have going forward. I think Matt Boyd, I think he's allowed more home runs than probably he will going forward. Uh, so they could have a not a top top rotation like in the next few years, but I think they could be above average very, very quickly. Uh, my my larger question is there's just not a lot of real impact bats in the minors. Yeah. I know that that's that the classic, you know, mid lineup slugger is a little passe sometimes, but you still need to have those guys. And, and the ones that you get, you can see having a lot of power are pretty far away. Yeah. Uh, I mean, apart from Isaac Paredes, it's pretty much, you know, Riley green, you know, way down, just, just reaching class a, you know, maybe somebody like Parker Meadows or um, Bryant Packard, somebody along those lines. So there's, there's a few, but yeah, it's pretty thin. And I think what we're, what what's kind of worried me is that the you know the, the pitchers are going to arrive, and you know the pitching prospects generally take you know more time to sort of um, ripen, kind of get used to the workload, all those sorts of things, even in the upper minors. Um, so maybe the timing of it all will work out. But um, but yeah, that, I think that's that's the scary part is that even at the major league level, we don't really have any proven young hitters. We've got a couple guys who you know have some potential. Um, you know, Kristen Stewart, you know, should hit. Um, can't really play the field very well. Um, there's kind of a whole plethora of semi-speedy, utility-ish guys who are young enough where maybe one of them could break out. But um, but yeah, organization-wide, you have to go pretty far down to the low minors and you know rookie ball, maybe the DSL. The Tigers have a couple interesting IFAs um, down there. But yeah, overall, the, the hitting looks way, way behind. And I think a lot of us would like to see 
if um, if it's true that you know free agents are are going to be cheaper going forward, that maybe this is the time when the Tigers you know should start thinking about investing in some of those guys. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not really sure if I'd say this winter, but yeah. I do think there's a chance that some of these guys are undervalued. I think now would be a little quick. And, I mean, they do have interesting parts in the team, just not a lot of guys who you see being big hitters in the future. Like, I, I thought it was a really good idea to give Harold Castro is as much playing time as they have. Because, no, he's not a real like, big prospect or anything, but he's interesting. Mm-hmm. And rebuilding teams, they don't they don't have, you know, top prospects for every position. Interesting is sometimes enough. Uh, when, when you look at, uh, at Demerit, he's interesting. Yeah. He's not a top prospect. But he's interesting. I mean, he hasn't hit as well as you'd like. That his his, his plate discipline is kind of interesting. Also, I keep using that word. This is in a less positive but, connotation. Sure. But, but but at least he does have a track record in the minors of walking, stealing bases, and hitting for some power. Nico Goodrum, another one. Yeah. See, what I, well, the way I look at it for a rebuilding team is you have cert, you have a certain number of plate appearances and batters face that you have to fill each year. Uh, every year, you know, you need to have like six thousand guys go to the play and 6,000 guys that picture's face and you have only so much that's like your time to find out information about things and when you use um, like the Royals have when they use those opportunities to look at players like Lucas Duda and Billy Hamilton and Chris Owings they don't really have any information that's going to help them in the future because if Billy Hamilton was good or okay I mean it's like so what yeah. You might be able to get an A-ball hitter for him, but, you know, Edwin Encarnacion fetched very little in a trade. You're never, you're never going to get much for Billy Hamilton, even if he had an acceptable season. Uh, then again, I, I, But then again, the Tigers do have, you know, guys like Dowell Lugo, who, you know, doesn't, doesn't really, wasn't really a prospect, doesn't look very good, and they're giving him time. They're giving, you know, Jordy Mercer, Gordon Beckham, you know, some of these guys. Like, you know, Brandon Dixon is a different story, but again, that's like a 27-year-old, you know, former prospect who, you know, maybe has a little something to offer, but but not that much. So Yeah, I, I, I probably wouldn't be any interested in Harrison or Mercer. I, I think Lugo's young enough that at least it's worthwhile to see what he can do. Even if it's just to to say no, because it's it's not like I mean he did hit well for, for the Mud Hens this year. Yep. Enough just to make him I, I know I keep using the word interesting, but it's just kind of how I feel. Do every at bat that's kind of quote unquote used should be done in a worthwhile manner, should be telling you something about the future. And on a fundamental level, you want to either be winning now or winning later. And if the things you do with these at bats don't do either, then it's just no point. Mm, okay. All right. You know, I think this is interesting because I think because, you know, you're the guy from Zips, you're the projection master. I think people might assume, and, and I think I assumed, that you might be a little bit more more apt to trust, you know, prospect rankings or, or the lists or sort of how these guys are projected to work out. But you still seem like to, to kind of have like a pretty balanced perspective on that, that, you know, you still don't know. You've got to give these guys some space to, to at least try it out and see what you can do with them, right? See, see, one of the things about doing about running projections, uh, and it actually goes for the other guys who do these things, like Nate Silver and and, and uh, uh, Sean Smith, who did Shown and and Jared Cross. Is when you run projections, you are very familiar with how uncertain the future is, and you're you're it's driven into your head 
in much harder lessons than most people have to face yeah. because I had to look at projections every year and I know how horribly wrong I'm going to be about a lot of them. So I, I want to look for upside. Uh, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get political or anything. So I'm going to stay out of an opinion of that. But when we talk about Nate silver and the 2016 election, uh, he did not think in his projections that, 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 that the current president was going to win the election, but he was, he counseled people before the election that some of you guys, your, your certainty is too, too little. You have too little, you have too much certainty about, uh, what's going to go on the election because you had, you had the one, uh, analyst from, I think Princeton having it like 99% to like less than 1%. Yeah. And, I think when if you are projecting things well and you understand the field, you are going to know just a reality how wrong you're going to be, and <laughs> that's kind of the advantage of of rebuilding is you can get all the players that I'm wrong about <laughs> and play them without any consequence. Because if if you play, say say the the uh, the, the, the Tigers give uh, uh, Paredes like 500 at bats in the majors last next year. If I'm wrong and he's terrible, nothing has really lost. Uh, nothing has been lost by the Tigers because they took the opportunity because there was always the chance that he was going to be good. Yeah. And if he exceeds his projections and is an even better player than projected, then that's uh, that's all the Tigers. They get to keep all the wins and the losses mean nothing. Uh, so that that's kind of how I see it when, when we talk about a rebuilding team. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I think... I mean, our, our, our readership is, is pretty, pretty savvy for the most part, but I think in the wider world, I mean, the sense is that a person who runs projection systems is telling you what's going to happen and what's not going to, going to be happen. Like people naturally want to think in very binary terms, whereas someone in your position sees, sees the probabilities and the percentages almost only like the right, you know, who's right, who's wrong almost has nothing to do with it. Correct. Yeah. It's, you're, it's, it's like predicting the weather. The, the goal is to be slightly less terrible than the other guy. Uh, and you know, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. Uh, I I've had Zips projections for this is the 16th year, I believe, of official Zips projections. I've I've consulted a lot in my career. I've written a lot in my career. So I do feel that I have a pretty good grasp of the of just the general sabermetrics world. Yeah, and when I and when I put that in my you know former English major terms, when I talk to people, it's just that. You know, I might I might seem to have a rather bleak outlook on a lot of our prospects or this or that. But I I will always say that there's just a ton of, you know, unpredictability built into this. And that's the beauty of baseball is that we can't predict what's going to happen. So don't freak out just because I don't like this or that prospect, you know, and I think this guy doesn't have a chance, etc. You know, at the end of the day, I have no idea, probably compared to even what you have. And you still have to have to kind of look at it from a perspective of, well, you know, I'm just trying to be more right than the other guys. And that's the best you can do. Yeah, it's the old it's the old joke about the uh, the two campers running from the bear, and the one guy says to the second guy, "You think you cannot run a bear?" And then the first guy says, "No, but I cannot run you." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's all that's gonna matter. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, you, you don't like to be wrong, but here here's the thing: if I was right a hundred percent of the time, it yeah, it would be more profitable because the Zaborski sports book would clear Vegas just. That, that's where the money is being the house, but it would be a lot more boring to do this job <laughs> if I knew exactly what was going on because I like to be surprised. I want to see the season play out. If everything happened like I predicted, it would just be just 
excruciatingly dull, I'd probably go into a new field just <laughs> out of principle and annoyance because I do have this this bad tendency to do things in life if they amuse me in some way. <laughs> I guess I guess it's kind of it's not really hedonism. I don't know if they have a word for that. It's a just fr- being, frivolity. Is that what we're I, talking I, about? I, I don't know. I just like to be in a in a cert, a constant state of amusement and bemusement. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm kind of that way. Yeah, I can see that. I'm actually I'm glad you brought up the, the sports books because that was something I did want to ask you about. Is have you you know have you ever been approached by MGM and and sort of where do you see the sports you know the internet sports you know boom that may or may not be coming kind of affecting uh, affecting things? Do you think um, you know people like yourselves are are going to get offers you know from from various new well, sports I, books? I have- I have consulted for a long time. I'm just very reluctant to leave media. It's the same with teams. I've consulted with teams for a long time. Uh, I can only off- – since I'm employed as a writer, I can only offer data. I can't offer an advisory opinion just for obvious conflict of interest issues. Sure. Uh, I, I, I like working in media. I think it's a better fit for me. And really, if you're gambling, you can always do a little better gambling with some of this stuff. But- but it's best to be the house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you think? I mean, do you think it's going to have an, an impact? I mean, we we kind of watched how you know fantasy football, um, in its own way, kind of you know was a big part of the the boom in the NFL over the past twenty you know, twenty five years. And you know, baseball obviously, fantasy baseball is is you know maybe growing in popularity. But do you think um, that there's any there's any kind of crossover there where the change to you know there being sports betting that's available to people is is going to produce some kind of some kind of bloom and in interest in baseball? I think it'll help. Uh, I don't know if baseball is necessarily the most bet friendly sport there. Yeah. Because baseball isn't. I mean, you look at football, and football isn't really a a, a marathon in the way baseball is. It's it's huge events that happen one day a week, and the focus is on all of those events. Uh, and you have plenty of time to think yeah, before the it's, next it's, one. Yeah. And so there's that kind of you can have that kind of emotional rise and fall that you don't really get betting over the season. And and baseball teams, I mean, everybody's kind of you know, unfr- if you talk about you know true ability, that kind of nebulous abstract concept, every team's pretty much somewhere between like a 400 and a 600 team. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's a lot of randomness involving in baseball betting, and when you bet a lot, say on on game lines, you have to bet a lot in baseball to have things kind of even out for you. Which is one thing I hate about. It. I love prop bets. I do not love line bets. Uh, the margins uh, just too small constantly. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm not someone who is a compulsive gambler. I like to bet when I see opportunities. Yeah. Uh, to that I where I see, you know, expected value that that that. I'm I'm paid for my risk essentially, uh, and I, I mean I, I do well with that at times. I uh, I had Max Scherzer winning the Cy Young that year, uh, that that first year that he was huge. Uh, I had the Braves winning the division last year, and it wasn't because I knew for some certainty that that it was going to happen. I didn't really know Max Scherzer was really going to break out in 2013, uh, but I was paid for. But I felt that the odds just you know, paid off for that. It was a good value bet. I like value betting. Yeah. Uh, so that those are the kind of bets I like better. Uh, and I don't know if that's exciting enough for to really increase interest in the sport. But, you know, I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. Yeah, well, and then there's the question of betting on things that have, 
that don't depend on the whim of various sports writers at the end of the year because uh you know i don't i don't bet much on sports i'm I'm in the stock market to some degree and that, that's enough for me but i did happen to put down a whole bunch of money on justin verlander to win the cy young in 2016 and i'm still mad about it bro <laughs> <laughs> well i didn't i think i, I had 80 to one odds about that one i voted in the uh the rookie of the year that year <laughs> it's those guys if in it, tampa they got yeah me. i voted for uh for Corey seager if that's the year was that 2015 yeah 16 yeah no that was 2016 okay all the years are running together in my head uh over time that, that, that's what happens when i get to middle age i guess yeah uh, but no i i wasn't responsible for that in any way it was it was kind of awkward because I, I i did bet on yelich coming into last season so i actually would have had to turn down voting if i had been oh, selected yeah. for the because they kind of just let you know like hey you're voting in this this year uh they like each Baseball Writers Association chapter head uh, nominates who votes for what. So I would have to say, yeah, I can't actually vote for this because I kind of have a bet on it, <laughs> uh, which, which would which would really set off like the even if nobody knew, it would certainly set off the ethical alarms in my head. Uh, but I, I vote for the rookie this year, and I placed no bets on that. So I've I'm still 100. percent I haven't gone full. On you want to preview your voting yet? <laughs> Yeah, you, oh, no, I, well, you actually promised not to, so I actually can't, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. I, can, I, I might even, I mean, I have, because people ask me like, to join in their uh, out-of-the-park baseball league uh, sometimes, like their year-to-year. And I like tell them, you know, they use Zips for the last <laughs> three or four years to start the season. So you would essentially be giving me the opportunity to project the quality of my team. <laughs> like, oh, I... Hmm, I think Zip says that Billy Hamilton's going to hit 350 this year. Oh, he's on my roster. What are the odds of that? Yes, yes. Yeah. And then you stroke your, you know, your tiny goatee <laughs> evilly. Yes. So you'd be the house. Yeah, but, you would be the house in that situation, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, but the problem is, I don't really have it in me to be corrupt in that way. I have this this weird way of being obnoxiously honest about things. Like when I'm pulled over for speeding, I can never, even though you're supposed to say that you don't know why you're pulled over i can't actually lie about it if i know i have to say something i can't it's 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 kind of sad no i'm kind of the same way like if i'm if i'm directly confronted with the question i have to answer it honestly if i can kind of evade yeah, I, having to answer it that's a different yeah, evading, story but... yeah evading yes a lie of omission i do not see as a lie necessarily <laughs> but once you're asked a question i cannot because that's i have this 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 kind of thing that i have to be right and that's that's one of my weaknesses because I can't let arguments go. Yeah. But but lying in a way means you're not actually right. Yeah, and you're also kind of like corrupting the data in a certain way too. You know. You're, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like, did 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 you did you put your thumb on the scale with Billy Hamilton? If I lie and say no, I'm incorrect, and that just causes me pain. I think <laughs> that's part of my upbringing because I I came from a very odd family of, of people who. It wasn't about, you know, being wealthy or successful or, or kind. It was about being correct. <laughs> there are a lot of lawyers in my family. And the, 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 most, the thing that would most, like, get you points in the family was being right and someone else was wrong. <laughs> oh, Thanksgiving must be awesome. Oh, I remember one, one Thanksgiving, my sister, I mean, she was way too old for this. She was, like, 20. I was, like, 25. I had said the word grandiose. And she was convinced the word was grandois, that it was spelled O-I-S-E. <laughs> and she was, she was too old to know that that wasn't the word. And she thought she was right. 
And and so dinner had to stop while she went to find the dictionary because this was like before internet was huge. Yeah. And she had to look it up and find out that the word was grandiose. And and everybody knew that I had won and she had lost. Oh, the shame. Yeah. She's yeah, never lived that down. <laughs> it, it, it kind of makes it sound like I come from a family of high functioning sociopaths that it's possible. But uh, I mean, spice of life. Well, yeah, as long as you have like a you know a lighthearted attitude about it afterward, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with some healthy competition on the, on that score. The whole country could do with a lot more of that in general. So, of the world. Yeah, we we, we once had uh, my sister and I once had a fifty dollar bet about. Uh, did you ever read the encyclopedia? I don't know what ex- your age is exactly, but did you ever read Encyclopedia Brown books as a kid? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm 44, Dan. Yep. Oh, okay. So then, then you're, you're, okay. So you're you're the same generation as me. Uh, well, we had a bet, a fifty dollar bet about the solution of an Encyclopedia Brown mystery <laughs> from 30 years ago. It was the mystery. It, it was kind of not really a mystery, but it was. Uh, it was Encyclopedia Brown was at a birthday party, and two twins were fighting over the last slice of cake, and they were trying to find a fair way to to divide that cake. And Encyclopedia Brown decided the fairest way to to divide that cake was one person cuts it and the other person chooses which one. Oh yeah. Uh, and I told my sister that in the story, the one twin didn't do a good job cutting, and she gave her sister a bite of her cake at the end to kind of make it more even. And my sister insisted, no, no, she didn't. And so we had a we had a fight over what at the time was a 30-year-old memory of an Encyclopedia Brown book. And, of course, I remember I was right and she was wrong. Yeah, that's the best part is that you remember it pretty well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, don't, don't you think you can remember Encyclopedia Brown mysteries more than me? Oh, that's great. Like, I know exactly what to do if you're in a bicycle race with an enemy school and the winner is who finishes last. You swap the bikes and go as fast as you can. <laughs> See, I remember all that, and that's – I think there's probably information like birthdays and anniversaries yeah. and and I guess numbers to things like like bank accounts that that have probably been pushed out of my mind by all this foo for all. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've just got a, I've got a ton of useful or useless information. I'm I'm definitely of the of the Jeopardy sort of persuasion on that front. Yeah, like why do you know that? I I don't even remember. I must have read it somewhere when I was ten. I have no idea. You know, which is why it's nice. I turned out to be a baseball writer because a lot of the really dumb information I have is baseball related. Yeah, uh, so it's all relevant in some yeah, way. Yeah, so I mean, let's say I'm I'm an accountant uh for I don't know, Citibank. In that case, the information about how Len Konecki uh, uh of the Dodgers died when he was kicked off the team plane for being drunk, chartered a private plane got in a fight with the pilot and tried to hijack the plane and got beat to death with the fire extinguisher while they were trying to keep him from crashing the plane. Oh my God. That's it's a great story. If yeah. you write about baseball, if, if you, if, if you don't, then uh, uh, it, it's probably not, you probably want something more important to remember. Yeah. It doesn't quite hold up against, you know, DB Cooper or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So then I'm really interested now because I want to know like, there's a sense all around baseball that, you know, teams are getting smarter then, right? Teams are, are getting better at projecting their players. Obviously, there's the, the whole player development part of it. I read the MVP machine not too long ago. But in terms of, like, um, you know, figuring out, you know, where players really are right now and where they're going to be, do you, do you really think that teams are much better at that? Or is a lot of this, 
you know, sort of, um, you know, just just thin slicing certain certain stories that, you know, kind of paint it that way. I, I think they're getting better. I don't think it's it's hugely so. Uh, I, I don't think it's a situation where they're just crushing in the projections compared to 30 years ago, because even like like from a projection standpoint, Bill James as Brock five did an OK job as well as Marcel does. Uh, I think what teams excel at is they're much better at using the talent they have. Uh, Bill James used to have lists of what he called um, for anyone who's not familiar. Ken Phelps all stars. Mm-hmm. And though that referred to minor league hitters that teams weren't giving chances to in the majors because of one thing or another from he doesn't play good defense or things like that. You don't really see a lot of those guys now. Now, if you hit in the minors, you will eventually get a chance in the majors. Uh, I mean, Ken Phelps, uh, in the early eighties, like you go into 82, uh, he had like an 1100 OPS in triple a and, the Mariners just weren't super interested in him. They thought of him as a role player. Maybe if he made the majors, they called him up, send him down, called him up, send him down, use him only as a pinch hitter for years. Uh, and he wasn't even originally a Mariner. He was with like the Expos and the Royals, if I recall correctly. Teams use these guys more than they would 20 years ago. Uh, I, I think a good example is Nelson Cruz. Uh, he was kind of on that edge of a few more years and he might not have gotten a chance because he was someone who said, people said, oh, he won't hit in the majors. He didn't hit well his first time in the majors. He's a quadruple A hitter. Uh, 30 years ago, it would have been hard for him to get his first full season at age 28. Uh, some could do that. I mean, Edgar Martinez eventually did, which was pretty good for the Mariners. But guys like that will eventually get chances these days which is good is that um i mean is that just the fact that scouting used to be kind of the end-all be-all and now there's there's kind of other ways to to look at it where it's not just you know sort of the organizational attitude that builds up when the guy's in in a ball and and as he moves through the levels where you just don't expect anything and so you don't even pay attention is that kind of being over you know at least mitigated by the fact that they're you know they're breaking down all the data throughout the minor leagues they've got the exit velocity that you know the, the whole the whole panoply of, uh, of bits of information to go through. Having, having, having the data is of course huge. And it wasn't an, it would be something that it wouldn't, if a scout didn't like a certain player thought they were poor defensively, the, their minor league offense wouldn't counteract that. It wouldn't necessarily get them a chance. Uh, now teams are happy to let players prove them wrong. Uh, I, I would say even a poorly run organization today, like the Royals or the Rockies, would probably be above average if you go back 30 years. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I think a good example is Mike Yastrzemski of uh, the Giants. Uh, uh, the Giants aren't a traditional super stat organization, but they gave Yastrzemski a chance because they didn't have anything better to do with the at-bats, and it's worked out well for them. Uh, he looks like a legitimate major league player, not necessarily a star or anything. Uh, obviously, he's helped by coming up in a season where his, his skill set has been exploded around baseball thanks to the baseball, mm-hmm. um, weirdly, but I guess that's a that's a that's an argument for another day. But, yeah, that is kind of a weird little fly in the ointment, though, because you just never know when it's going to go away. Either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that it is tricky. But the Giants gave Yastrzemski a chance to prove them wrong, and he did, uh, or to prove the Orioles wrong, I guess, since yeah. it's not like they had him for that long. But teams will give players chances this year, and there's few, pl- very few players who will now go their entire career and not get a chance. Uh, in their major league organization after playing well in AAA, yeah, which is good. good. Yeah, they're at least going to get going to get a look at some point. 
Yeah. So you wouldn't. So you don't. You're not of the mindset that like Jeff Lunau, Andrew Friedman, these guys have just cracked the code, and these teams are going to be, you know, just just monsters for years to come. Or well, are some, you? Well, but some, some of that's some money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The money. I mean, some teams do it better than others. I think Jeff Lunau is very good at what he does. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it, it it's hard to stay ahead of the pack. Uh, it's just about being a little bit better, a little more creative, a little more taking a risk at the right time. And then uh, having an extra $80 million in payroll a year if you're the Dodgers or Yankees or someone, yeah. But I, I talked about being opportunistic, and I talked about the Astros being opportunistic during uh, their, their rebuild. But they were, they've were they also been op- opportunistic while contending. And yeah. that's a pretty – they saw a chance to get Verlander in a way that a lot of teams didn't – they didn't think about they 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 had a creative way to to make the money work the players work for both sides and to bring in Verlander. Uh, the same with Zach Greinke. You didn't see a lot of teams really going after Zach Greinke, but they saw a way to push and make it work. Uh, when the Astros won the World Series, they didn't just sit back and keep the core together. They went after Garrett Cole very aggressively uh, because that they have the idea is once you're a contending team. Do everything you can to stay a contending team and to stay a top team, and they've done very they've done very well with that. And I think when the time comes that they aren't really top tier contenders anymore, I think that they will make trades, they will change direction before the team gets to just desperate straits. Uh, because when the Orioles finally chose to rebuild, pretty much most players of value were gone. Uh, you can make the argument that the Tigers waited a year or two too long to fully jump into that yeah because they were Uh, trying so hard to win that one whereas the astros already have one they might have another one by the time this that point comes for them which helps um yeah and of course you know mike illich and his advanced age was a was a complicating factor uh but i i think just knowing the right to making a decision at the proper time it's just as good sometimes as making the proper decision in it to start with yeah yep catching it when it's when it's hot um okay so you obviously probably pay attention to all the all this all the hotness that's going on now with player development. That there's you know they're getting better at at te- in theory at teaching players at, at identifying um, you know small small things that could be tweaked or adjusted to help help hitters get better. I mean, is that is that something that you pay a whole lot of attention to? I do. Of course, they don't they don't share everything with me, but I glean a lot because you know I'm I'm in uh, being a writer also, I'm, I'm kind of inside baseball quite a bit. Uh, so I, you, you can glean some things. They're not always volunteering information. Uh, and I always thought that the Tigers should have been a little embarrassed uh, when Verlander went to the Astros and started talking about all the data that they were showing him and how the <laughs> Tigers weren't doing any of that, how the Astros seemed to know more about Verlander's slider than the Tigers did. Uh, the team should have been a little embarrassed by that to have a guy who's been with you you know, for a decade. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing is he came and out he goes, and talked about how Brad Osmus was the guy who actually got him to really start, you know, looking at scouting reports and breaking down hitters like he didn't even do that before. And it was Brad Osmus who got him to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, which is a plus for Brad Osmus. He's not, he's not a bottom tier, even if his relief usage is, oh, headache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I think I mean to a lot of us, and when you're when you're covering one team all the time, you see all their flaws, and it really does feel like the Tigers have been like woefully far behind. And I think you know it's hard not to let that inform everything that you that you look at throughout the whole system. Like when I look at you know the the Tigers don't seem to have got on to the fact that you know you're going to need you know guys who who can show some plate discipline at least at the A ball levels, 
and have some power because if a guy, you know, if a guy can't lay off fastballs from 20 year old guys who can't find the strike zone half the time, how are they, how are they ever going to, you know, improve from that? And it really feels on the hitter side, like the Tigers have, have always been a little bit far behind on that. And you still hear, you know, when Lloyd McClendon talks about hitting, he still talks a lot about, you know, wanting guys to, to spray line drives around the whole field. Um, you know, the Tigers seem to obsess about the shift almost to an obscene degree. You know, the Tigers really want to hit for batting average. It feels like a lot of times when they when they discuss hitting, that's what they're talking about is getting singles. Um, and the game yeah, is a very 1980 big, thing to, to talk about. Yeah. And, you know, we've and they're you know, they're bringing in Kirk Gibson. You know, we've got Alan Trammell. I mean, obviously great players, Jack Morris. But a lot of these, you know, people from that era and as well as Jim Leland are still, you know, highly you know sought after advisors for this front office and those are the things that really that really scare me when i look at the farm system and i don't see much in the way of hitters coming um i I look at the fact that the tigers haven't you know found like you know you were talking about having the the space to to find a hitter maybe the tigers haven't found a hitter you know in four years since alavila took over um they haven't they haven't had much success you know locating that one guy who no one else you know was on for whatever well, they reason did, they, and getting a breakout. They did get JD Martinez and the Astros did. did it. So that is a victory there. At yep. Least. Yep. That's true. But well, that was quite a while ago. It was, uh, it was, uh, wow. when was that? February, 2014. <laughs> yeah. It was a while, but I like to be scrupulously fair if I can. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I try as well. Um, but you know, sitting here watching the team be bad for three years, I'm sure at times I, uh, I throw things and, and get more upset than I need. <laughs> yeah. But again, remember Orioles fan. Yep. Yep. I hear you. They, yep. That team was bad. For, I mean, my entire young adulthood, they were a, a, a terrible team. Yeah. Uh, like, I never had that experience of a good Orioles team as a young man. I mean, as a, as a teenager, I did. Because, I mean, they had, had that, that back-to-back in 97 where they went from one, one wire to wire. Yeah. Uh, 198 games. And that was, um, that was the offseason that they uh, – at the uh, sabermetric community called the the four horsemen of the O's apocalypse <laughs> because they brought in Doug Drabeck and Joe Carter and Norm Charlton and Ozzie Gian and excuse me <clears throat> something in my throat uh, from ninety eight to two thousand thirteen or two thousand eleven actually I think they they had a losing record every year yeah yeah so I mean were you I mean were you paying a lot of attention when when you guys you know the Earl Weaver era eddie murray etc the, the teams i remember from the mid 80s or is that a little uh, bit too too early for yeah, you I was probably six or seven young to really appreciate it I, I mean i was always i was a stat head very early uh, my i my grandfather bought me the elias baseball analyst and the bill james baseball abstract in 1985 uh when i was seven. Oh wow so yeah. I, I was reading this stuff fairly early but i can't say i saw like a lot of their best early '80s years, because I was five in 1983. I didn't get to see that. I only really got to see the end, the tail end of Earl Weaver's career, yeah. uh, his his second stint after Joe Altabelli, which did not go quite as well. That '86 was really disappointing when they kind of were like two games out in August and just collapsed down the stretch, and and Earl Weaver retired. Yeah. Um, oh, that's it, interesting. It, it, I I didn't, you know, I really missed out on all that. You know, I didn't know who Bill James was until probably like 2004 or five when I kind of came back to baseball after maybe 15 years away. So yeah, I've been scrambling, scrambling to catch up with all this. Yeah. I, I got into the internet sabermetric community in the mid nineties when it was still kind of a new thing. Uh, and I guess that's kind of how I became employable because I was with the right group of people at the time, uh, where we were, where we talked data and, and made fun of web TV 
<laughs> users and AOL users uh, because we, we were snarky. But it, it, it was a pretty invigorating environment because uh, you, you had people like Keith Law, Gary Huckabee, uh, Clay Davenport, Christina Carl, Vorish McCracken, Sean Foreman. You can go on and on. Wow, yeah. That all these people, we were all like in the same place, the same little place on Usenet, arguing about baseball in the mid-90s. And somehow we all became employable, which is the weirdest <laughs> thing ever. That's a good group, yeah. You guys were like the uh, the early adapters, you know. You were the uh, the Bill Gates, etc. of the <laughs> the uh, saber yeah, metric not, revolution. Not quite as lucrative <laughs> as Bill Gates. Yeah, not quite. I mean, we're all employable, <laughs> but we don't have fifty billion dollars even between us. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. The product is, was just information. There wasn't there isn't a product to sell that easily. Yeah, yeah, it's useful, but it, you you can't you you can't get a saber metric. You can't get an on-base percentage, a slugging percentage stat into every home in America. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting that you mentioned, you know, the Verlander trade because, I mean, the flip side to looking at what the Tigers got back for Justin Verlander, which doesn't look very good at this point, same with J.D. Martinez, is that other teams, you know, people forget about the flip side of it, which is that, you know, probably there's a pretty good chance the Yankees and Dodgers both cost themselves a World Series in 2017, just because they didn't want to give up whatever the Tigers wanted, you know, in terms of prospects. And, you know, maybe in a terms, you know, in terms of like pure value, that was the smart, you know, decision, even regardless if, if a World Series would have come their way. But it is easy to forget, you know, that uh, that there's two sides to all this and that, you know, yeah, the Tigers didn't get much for J.D. Martinez, but any team that wanted to come calling probably could have offered, you know, a, a 45 plus future value prospect and, and possibly walked away with that player. Yeah, one one of the things to remember is a lot of this also has is driven by the the, the uh, playoff format. Yeah, when you, the more playoff spots there are, uh, even if they're wild cards, the more playoff spots you have, the more the proper strategy is to try to maximize how many times you make the playoffs, not how good you are in any one playoff season. And actually, I think having a second wild card actually helps a bit, simply because there's a much larger consequence for not winning the division than there was. Uh, I think that if, if, uh, it, the wild card didn't have to play a one game play in essentially, I know it still counts as the playoffs, but I still think of it as a play in. Yeah, it's unavoidable. Way. Uh, I, I think that it might be even worse and you'd say teams be even more conservative at trade deadlines. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you, if you'd know this, but like when, when the, the additional rounds of the postseason were being added, like when they, you know, they added the divisional series and all that did, did strategy change then? I mean, is, is it like observable that, that more teams, you know, thought to themselves, I can get in, but also it's, it, it's worthwhile just to try to get in and not necessarily go for, you know, the whole thing every time. I think it was a slow shift from about, from the strike years when they went to a wild card, uh, as as we kind of it was part of the generalized shift between kind of an older school vibe around baseball to to more of a modern analytics sense, uh, and I think part of it is not going all in. And 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 when you you still see big trades, but they're usually for players now that are around for more than one year because teams are going to look at it and say, you know, if we're going to be the team to give up these top prospects for a player, we want more than two months. Yeah. Uh, and I think some teams, I think that Tigers are one of them, are have been slow to ex- accept that because the uh, the the Diamondbacks got some really solid prospects for Zach Greinke. Yeah. Uh, but part of that is that the Astros get Zach Greinke for more than two months. 
they get him for you know the second half of 2019, and they still expect to be contenders in 2020 and 2021. So you you can't just wait till a player has five and a half years service time to trade them, uh, if if you do want to get value for that. So so you see you see largely see a lot of trades made for players that when it's one year and change remaining, uh, you think about uh, Jeff Samarja. No one, no. no one would would confuse. I mean, even good Jeff Samarja as a serious Cy Young candidate most of the time. Uh, uh, he he did fetch, you know, uh, Addison Russell uh, uh, for, to the Cubs from the A's. Yeah, uh, and of course he was a huge prospect at the time. I mean, Billy McKinley, Billy McKinney had value. Uh, they 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 got good prospects, uh, and part of it was because there was another year to go. And that's why and Oakland had the opportunity to flip him again, which, of course, is exactly what they did. And they got back, you know, uh, Fegley and Simeon yeah. and, uh, and uh, other two names who I can't remember at this moment. And I'm going to be too slow to look up. Well, but when I, I think well, I got that right. No, yeah. But when I – okay. And then when I compare that to, say, M- Matt Boyd, because I guess that, that you know, Jeff Samarja is an example I've used before where, you know, at that point back in 2012, I think – no, no, that was 2014, 2014 trade deadline that back then you perhaps could get more for someone like Jeff Samarja. Whereas, you know, the Tigers are trading, trying to trade three and a half years of Matt Boyd this summer. And then it's really hard to say what the Tigers were asking, but yeah, it yeah. still feels like you might not even be able to get as much for, you know, as you could for Jeff Samarja five years ago right now. It, that, that's, that's probably a fair point too. Yeah. It's hard to say. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's, yeah, it's sometimes hard to remember what year everything happens now. I yeah. discover because when you're a kid, you have those <laughs> those grades that you're in to define yep. everything that happened. When I was in third grade, when I my first year of high school, as an adult, you don't really have those same markers. Yeah, it's uh, just like a vague point in the in the semi distant or far distant past. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, I mean, I've had the same job for 15 years essentially, and I don't always remember what year things happen anymore. <laughs> I just yep. I just hope they hit them like. Like you know, two or three years yeah. within. That's that's my error range. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if 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 you if you know history and or pay attention to politics, like sometimes I can relate it to you know what I was thinking about in some some other terms at the time. But yeah, it's it's not as easy as it used to be. That's for sure. Yeah. Um. Okay. So and then to like to go back to Michael Fulmer. Like thinking about trading Michael Fulmer after his rookie season. Like, is there any way? Let's say Michael Fulmer. You know. We just would have said, okay, this is a three to four war pitcher for the next, you know, six more years. Is there any way to get full value for someone like that at that point? Because I guess that's that that's where I find it hard to really criticize the Tigers for not trading trading him, you know, back then. Just because it just seems like it's really hard to get all those years of control in terms of value for yourself. I think they would have gotten pretty good value. You think so? Uh, yeah, yeah. I I I, I think that w- that would have happened. Uh, that I. I to the to the right team that needed a picture like him, I think they get full value. The, the problem is, I think the Tigers thought that the full value was five years of a number one starter. Yeah, and I I can't tell you what any of the offers were because I don't know. You just hear rumors and never really find out what's accurate and what's not because everybody in baseball is going to lie to you. Is when <laughs> sure thing you need to understand as a writer. Yeah, uh, I I but. I think the Tigers felt differently and, and teams would look at him as giving five years for a really good, you know, a number two, three guy. But I, that, that wouldn't have tempted the Tigers at that point. I don't believe. Yeah. And if they were going to trade him at the end of 2016, that would have been the teardown and they would have had to trade Verlander or, you know, JD Martinez, all those guys right then. And obviously they weren't willing to do that having just committed 
some $140 million in, in free agent dollars the year before. So, well, no, uh, it was way more than that. I forgot about late, Justin uh, Upton. <laughs> and a late unrelated development while we're, while we're talking is Rick Okasek of the Cars has died. Oh, no. Him and Eddie Money in the same week? For some reason, those yeah, two it's, guys it's, seem it's, relatable to me. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I guess they go in go in go in threes. I hope it it, it 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 feels like everyone who I remember as a kid is kind of dying or old. It's it's kind of sad. It is it is at the point where that seems to happen, you know, almost weekly. And then I watch like younger people get all upset about them now, and I'm like, man, they're happen they're for me. I, I'm over it already. It's happening like every every day. Yet somehow yeah, like, Keith, like, Keith Richards and Mick Jagger just you know keep trucking along somehow. But yeah, for the rest of them. Yeah, who would have thought they'd still be around in this, yeah. this old? Um, I, it's always shocking when like you when I'm like kennel surfing and I see blue bloods to see Tom Selleck that old. Yeah, yeah. And and he's like the commissioner. It's like Magnum PI wouldn't be the commissioner. You were the rebel. You were yeah, the man. he's not the commissioner. He's not the 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 straight laced guy. And he's not like a rebel commissioner. He's a straight laced guy. And it and I think you know. I guess you could say that this is relevant because Tom Selleck is probably, I think, the most famous wearer of a tiger's cap yes, in, so th- in pop culture. Yep, that's accurate. Eminem never wore um, the tiger's cap enough to, to take over, I'm afraid. Sorry. Sorry, Em. Yeah, did, did Eddie Murphy wear one at any point during the... the uh... Beverly Hills Cop movies? I'm trying to... Well, he wore the... Didn't he have the, the old English D on the jacket at some point? I don't know. There was definitely well, he had, something. He had a lion's jacket, I think. Oh, the lion's jacket. That's right. It had, like, right it had like the big old helmet in it. Yeah. Uh, so, I, so I guess then Selleck is the most famous Tiger's hat cap wearer. Yeah, he's got to be. <laughs> Other than Justin Verlander, I guess, you know, because now that he's married a, married a supermodel, you know, he's, he's living in a different sphere. I've actually been kind of wondering. Culture. Oh, for you, sure. Yeah, you yeah. can't, he doesn't you can't count get Verlander that. unless Verlander gets like a sitcom after the... <laughs> <laughs> don't count him out. Don't count him out. It has it has been interesting following Justin Verlander since leaving, n- not just because of his performance, but just as a as a totally like frivolous tangent. And that it's got to be like baseball players aren't that famous, like you know, in terms of the larger popular culture sphere. Obviously, compared to football players, basketball players, etc. But it's got to be interesting to be like the one or two baseball players who is now married to like a, a super famous woman who is tracked by paparazzi all the time. Like Justin Verlander must exist at a whole different level. And I kept thinking about that when he got in the big <laughs> kerfuffle for having the, you know, the Detroit Free Press writer banned from the, the clubhouse a couple of weeks ago. All that kind of stuff that uh, that he kind of exists in a different different sphere where he has like his daughter who's probably being followed for pictures. You know, that that whole thing. Um, it's just a different it's a different ball of wax for guys like that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Mike Trout, if, if, if you put Mike Trout in a crowd and put like PewDiePie <laughs> or angry video game nerd in a crowd, people would recognize the latter and, and more than Mike Trout easily. Yeah, 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 not even close. Oh, and that's sad news today. I mean, you know, the Angels aren't going anywhere, but kind of a bummer that Mike Trout will be lost to us the next two weeks, coming right on the history, heels of Kristen Yelich, all these MVPs coming apart at the scene. Yeah, we're going to... Ha- See, now there's this worry that, that some, some dumbass writers are going to use as an excuse to not vote him MVP. Oh, oh, that can't happen. That yeah, can't I'm going to... 
I, 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 I can predict that I will be very annoyed and, and complain loudly on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that can't happen, please. I mean, we already feel, you know, I mean, I, I had no problem with Maggie winning the MVP in 2012. I mean, obviously the Triple Crown, the whole thing. Mike Trout was brand new. You could argue the defense was a little bit, you know, overrated in terms of his, his you know, his war total that year, whatever. But I still feel bad about 2013 because, my God, Mike Trout, he's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's weird that he only has two MVPs. It really is. It doesn't. He make... should probably have about five. Even, even, even giving you know Mookie Betts the MVP last year, which was actually, actually defensible, which is weird as it sounds. And even giving Miggy his 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 triple crown one, he should still have like five MVP trophies. Yeah, it's absurd. He, I think, God, it, it feels like time has passed. That he's been around this long now. It's kind of hard to believe uh, he's twenty eight he to me. Have, yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, he came up in 2011 now. Yeah. Oh, such a long time ago. Justin Verlander was really good back then. <laughs> yeah, still really good. Um, I all right. Let me. You're not. You know, I should probably save this question for Jay Jaffe. But how did you feel? Like, you know, you're someone who, who's, you know, intimately involved in in determining player value. And uh, what did, what did you think of the Cy Young in the AL last year? Did you think that Blake Snell should have won based on kind of like an ERA type argument? I think I think it was defensible. I don't think there was one clear cut guy that you can say. See, I try now because I'm mellower than I was 20 years ago. Believe it or not, <laughs> I try to save getting really, really angry for the things that that deserve me being really, really angry. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I I just I'm at the age I shouldn't get mad at everything because all uh, Hall of Fame voting every year has a tendency. To, to make me to make me mad, uh, so I think yeah, Blake Snell is a perfectly cromulent pick. <laughs> you could you could pick Snell or Verlander or Kluber, or Sale or Bauer or Cole, and I think they were all kind of in that same tier that you could make a legitimate case for all of them. Yeah, no uh, one blew anybody else away. Yeah, it's not like when Dante Bichette was second in the NL MVP. I can't believe those idiots did that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, yeah. So you're not out there getting super upset over like tiny degrees of difference, like oh this yeah. guy's ERA plus versus this guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I try to get upset over stupid but large things. <laughs> yep. Yep. Or yes, or world affecting things, and not just not just baseball things, maybe. Although I still get upset about baseball things. It does happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, I got. Let's see. What oh, I wanted to ask you about this too. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about uh, you know the, the kind of the changes in player development, or at least the sense that that teams are starting to figure out you know some some new angles. Um, do you think that there's any chance? And I and I ask this because you know the Astros have kind of talked. Have you know they've cut scouting a little bit. Um, there's been some talk about you know them not wanting necessarily to their players to play minor league games as much as they might want them to actually try to train specific skills. Um, and yet at the same time, we see that minor league, you know, minor league baseball is, is increasing in attendance. Like they had a huge jump this year. Uh, prospects are the hotness. Um, you know, I mean, if I, you know, it's almost like, you know, the early nineties where like the hot prospects are like, you know, Nirvana breaking or, you know, it's like, these are the, these are the hot bands in, uh, in the baseball sense. And um, I, I just wonder what what you kind of think about that is whether whether or not you know we need the minor leagues as much as we we've had them since the whole kind of system was put into place or um, or whether or not you know MLB might you know actually 
kind of lean in toward trying to monetize minor league ball more because of this? I don't know. How are you feeling about minor league baseball at this point? I think it, I think it's hard to monetize it that much because it's still a minor league and nobody's minor league really does that well attendance wise. Uh, I mean, you can say that for the NFL, that college football is the minor league, but that's a whole other thing because you have school spirit and people that go to these schools and that's it's not okay, really the yeah. same as a minor league team. Uh, I, I don't I, I think there's still a real use for the minors because you learn a lot from players just having them play games. Uh, the worry thing that the worry the team the thing ugh, the thing that teams worry about is they kind of want their staff to have as much of an impact on the players as every you know link in the chain going up. Uh, and yeah, yeah, the, they have a lot of control over it, but you have the most control when you're working with them every day. Uh, with your you know your major league staff and and getting the best data possible and teams like that, but the minor leagues are still useful. I think the question is, do we need as many minor leagues as yeah. as as we do? And that 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 I'm not so sure about. Uh, like every team has between seven and nine minor league teams, and I'm not quite sure we need that many. Uh, I don't know if say high A and mid A and short season A. I don't know if we really need to have three different kind of levels for that. And that is probably the question. Uh, I can see a situation long term where maybe I don't quite know how it would work, but maybe teams will pool talent, open up that way. So you have fewer minor league teams. Uh, Of course, there's a lot of difficulties with that because you have to negotiate playing time because teams have different needs. But I, I think that would be a possibility if it could work out in the very long term. And I can see them trimming down the the miners a bit yeah is it possible that having all this data i mean it maybe it, it it can't turn you into a juggernaut at the top and all these other teams are are you know catching up to some degree and eventually it just all becomes relative again and you know it's just how you're doing compared to other teams and no one has a huge advantage but maybe at the at the opposite end of it it might get easier to tell which guys like no this this guy has no just no shot like we can we can trim these 30 guys out of our system eliminate a team and it won't have any effect on our system it might, because if you trim down the minors, you're essentially going to have more of the cream of the talent play and fewer of the journeyman guys, fewer of the organizational players is what you call. Because very few players in a system are real prospects. Yeah. Uh, you could you can take you can take any like triple A league and most like probably like seventy percent of the people in triple A right now will get at least a and at bat or a appearance and yeah. And, I can't know if I, I keep forgetting the word I'm going to use, and I keep going between A and N, uh, but only a few of them are prospects. Like you, like if you look at Toledo, you see a lot of you know veterans, guys that were there on rehab, and, but you you see players who are just essentially organizational talent. Uh, like I think like someone like Kyle Funkhauser, just to make a random name, I don't think anybody really thinks of him as a prospect this point maybe i'm wrong and i'm just being mean uh but i think he's more like an organizational player and i think that when you turn on the minors you might have fewer of those guys yeah yeah um kyle funkhauser specifically i'd say still has a chance to be a decent reliever maybe even a solid reliever but yeah otherwise i would tend they to haven't, tend they to haven't been using him as a reliever though yet have they no and that's something the tigers have been i think have been a little slow to do there, there's some pretty good arms who they're still using as starters like anthony castro Gregory Soto. I mean, these are guys who didn't really don't really have the command 
to, to go out there and give you six innings and, and not have an inning where they just blow up and throw the ball all over the place. <laughs> but but they haven't really kind of made that push. And when you were talking earlier about the Tigers maybe having a pretty good rotation, you know, within a year or two, three years, I think, you know, maybe the thing to look for for all of Tiger fans is whether or not the Tigers start to try to work on a bullpen before then and be a little bit more creative maybe in their usage, which we've never, never have been. I mean, the but Tigers they did get, more than anybody. They were creative by, by getting Green back in the bullpen and not... Because yep. I was, I was, I was, I, w- I wasn't a fan of bringing in Green. I think that they pretty much overrated him based on his half a season with the Yankees. Yeah, they faced uh, him and got dominated by him. Um, there's kind of a yeah. trend of the Tigers seeing a guy own their team and then going out <laughs> and getting him. <laughs> yeah. and, and I was, and I was, I was pretty confused at the time because I mean he had a sub four ERA if I'm recalling correctly with the Yankees. But he also picked worse in the minors. And I don't think anyone thinks that the majors are easier than triple A. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but, the FIP, and the FIP was still, you know, yeah, 440, something like that. You know, yeah. But to their credit, they didn't force the issue too long. He got like one more year as a starter. Then they looked at him in the bullpen. Uh, and then when he could finally fetch something in return, and he did. Uh, if, if you had told me that, that Shane Green would fetch Joey Wentz plus, I... I some a couple years ago, I would have been pretty surprised by that. Uh, so I think that actually did work out pretty well for them in the end. Yeah, I like Joey Wentz. Um, I'm, I'm actually kind of into it. And the Tigers have a couple of these like sort of high arm slot, you know, sort of invisible type guys going at this point. Tarek Skubal is kind of one of them. Franklin Perez was sort of another guy who's more fastball changeup than than really breaking ball. Although he can't stay healthy, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with him. Although speaking of Shane Green, it was it always struck me as kind of funny and sad that the Tigers lost, you know, they they essentially <laughs> lost both sides of 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 Robbie Ray trades. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> well, and we and we gave away, you know, or we let Joaquin Benoit go and traded away Doug Fister, so also that we could get Joe Nathan. Like that was the that was the end game of that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. I I, I still hope that Benoit comes back. I don't think he's officially announced his retirement because uh, coming into 2019, he was one of three players left who were older than me. <laughs> Benoit, <laughs> Ichiro, and Fernando Rodney. Uh, and yeah. now we're, we're, we lost Ichiro. Uh, we might have lost Benoit because he hasn't pitched in the major since 2017. So we might have lost him. And... My last player who I need to stay around <laughs> to keep someone older than me is now Fernando Rodney. Yeah. And He's still throwing 96, 97, <laughs> which is yeah, incredible. And sometimes he even knows where it's going. Yeah, occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's say, all right, one more, one more little player development question. Cause I, one thing I've noticed is that, um, you know, the Tigers were just finally kind of got on the ball this last off season and, you know, to whatever the value you can put it, if, if a team knows how to use all this technology or not, but they finally got all the Rapsodos and they got themselves some high speed cameras and the, the force plates for hitters to balance on and see where their weight distribution is, all this kind of stuff. Um, but I noticed that, you know, a lot of the agent camps, you know, and, and obviously with, with a lot of the MLB free agents kind of waiting the last two years and, and them setting up camps for them in the spring to practice, you know, independently. And then I hear Casey Mize last off season, you know, really worked on his own, uh, like a new slider at his own agency's camp, you know, with all the technology and their own coaches. Is there, 
I mean, is there anything that could go, could ever happen there where agents actually kind of play and, and agencies start to play a role in player development that way to where they they might have their own camp, they might have their own sort of styles of teaching, all that sort of thing? Is that is that a potential thing ever? I th- I think it's possible. Uh, I, I think it might actually come from the other side. I could see an organization like Driveline Baseball. I could see them getting more involved in having an actual sports agency long term. Uh, trying I, to work I, I on their own talent. I don't. I don't, have, I don't have any specific information from Kyle Body about that. So, so don't take this as like some kind of rumor. But it sure. wouldn't shock me if they became more active in that in that kind of thing. And um, I know that most of the agencies they have, you know, analytics departments uh, that that do crunch numbers for for players. I know because I've sold plenty of data to them. Uh, even 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 some of the smaller little agencies that do some of the you know the the, the fringe guys who don't get big contracts, uh, I, I think you could see that. Uh, I'm not sure how camps work because then you get friction with the team, but it it, it is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I just it, I just found it interesting. You know, the, Casey Mize, you know, the Tigers spent their number one pick on him last year. Um, you know. Just didn't really pitch him much, you know, just, just gave him a couple innings and, and did some work with him in, at their Lakeland camp. And then to hear that in the off season, he was at his agent's, you know, camp and designed an entirely new pitch. And you just wonder, I, I don't really know how this goes with other teams, but it's always felt like the Tigers are really hands off in the off season. Like there's not a whole lot of like, we want you to, you know, be on this, you know, this really strict diet and, and workout plan. And we don't want you to throw it doesn't really feel like there's that much, you know, direction given. So I was kind of surprised that that you know he spent that much time working on something like that. There, obviously, you know, Matt Boyd and a host of other guys all go to driveline in the off season and kind of do their own thing. And yeah, I, I just wonder sometimes if teams, you know, ha- have a say in that, or do they do they care that much, or you know, a, a lot of teams are involved, a lot of teams aren't. Um, are you familiar with what Adam Ottavino did? Yeah, setting yeah, up a he, warehouse. Yeah, he set up a warehouse because the Rock. He did things that the Rockies didn't think of. Yeah. And I mean, he, he's trying to make his own career. And I think teams that the better run teams, I think teams like the Astros do take more of a hands-on approach with this kind of thing and look for these things. Uh, because when, when players are fixing themselves and your major league staff isn't, then you have to be asking questions. It's like, this is, this is one of those, you had one job things, right? Like all you have to do is develop players if players are developing themselves, <laughs> what do we need you for? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a question I ask. Cause I, you know, the, like some of these guys, the tigers have up and I'm not any kind of an expert scout or anything, but you know, I, I look at Dowell Lugo and like some of his actual swing issues and some of these other players. And I just wonder sometimes why teams don't talk to these guys when they're in the upper minors and just, you know, really hammer the point home to them. Like, look, you know, Everything has to change. <laughs> Everything you're doing right now is is never going to lead you, you know, to being a major league player unless you, you know, really try to experiment and try some new things. Maybe they do. Maybe they do talk to them and players, you know, obviously have that inertia to where I've always done it this way. It's gotten me here. I, you know, it's, it's easy for me to sit here at my computer and say, hey, why don't you, uh, you know, strike, <laughs> trying to put the ball in the air more and keep your shoulder in and all this kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm just, I don't know. It's just something I, I think about because it does seem like an awful lot of guys you know, it's sort of known when they're in the upper minors that their chances are very slim. And then, but often you don't see anything really radical, you know, happen with them or, or, you know, any attempt to really improve until, you know, they're in the major leagues getting their, getting their butt kicked. And by then a lot of times it can be over. If you get called up to the major leagues and you play for a couple months and you're terrible and you get cut, 
you know, now you're not a prospect anymore. You know, now your your career as an org guy who gets bounced around has begun. So, yeah, I, I do think the Tigers could do more. When I talk about them, I, I don't think they're like at the bottom if I ranked all the front offices, but they don't strike me as very forward thinking or very uh, just groundbreaking you don't really see the Tigers as finding the next big thing over some other team. Like if you ask like a group of serious baseball fans, what teams will find the next big thing? You get a lot of answers. You'll, you know, people will say uh, that, that it'll be like the Astros or the Dodgers or the Cubs or the Indians or, yeah. or, 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 or Madal comes to, comes yeah. to Baltimore and sorts you guys out. Uh, I think for kind of a more conventional front office, the Tigers aren't bad. Uh, but I don't think that they're a great front office by any means. Yeah. And I guess, you know, in any kind of innovation, like sometimes it, it actually can pay to be the team that is like, you know, second in line or, you know, a team that kind of lays back in the cut and, what you know, lets other teams spend a lot of money trying to figure out like how much sleep, you know, each player should get and what they should eat and all these sorts of things. And then kind of like cherry pick the things that actually seem to have real effect rather than necessarily being the team trying to push all that, because it's really hard. Um, you can lead yourself all kinds, you know, down all kinds of rabbit holes. And anyone reading a lot of these articles, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of the concepts or, or ideas that are being floated around as innovative right now will look like dead ends later. So, yeah, it's hard to know. It's hard to know, but um, do you think maybe we just make too much about that, though? Is that really just what it comes down to? Like, in the grand scheme of things, team building isn't necessarily you know, impacted more than a percentage point or two by how innovative a, you know, a player development system you have, that sort of thing? I think it could be in a lot of cases more than a percentage or two. But yeah. I, I think that as time goes on, you'll, you'll generally see the difference in front offices kind of decrease. You'll always have teams that are rebuilding and teams that are contending. Uh, but it, it is harder to get an edge than it used to be. I mean, when, when uh, during the Moneyball years... Oakland got an edge for just knowing what on base percentage was. <laughs> yeah. It's nowhere near that easy now. No. We're still waiting for the Tigers to really, really jump on the, the on base percentage train, but we'll see. <laughs> it's coming around, hopefully. Uh, all right. Well, Dan, it's been great having you. I really appreciate you making time to do this. Um, I've kind of been wanting to talk to you for a while, but I always figure you guys are super busy over there at Fangraphs. I don't want to just like, you know, nag you guys for a little time for me. <laughs> so thank well, you very well, much. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, it was fun. I believe I've done a podcast with you, but I mean, with, with bless you boys, but not you. I could yeah. be wrong. I've done a lot of podcasts and radio. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyway. I think it might've been, it was, yeah, it was my, uh, my predecessor, I believe. Yep. Oh, who was that? Uh, hook slide or Al Beaton. One of the two might've been Al. I don't think it was Al, but I guess that's not really a question for the podcast. <laughs> no, I guess not. It's a, it's a meta question about the podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's a little meta and we've, we've already gone very long. Yeah, we have. All right. Well, I'll let you go. Thanks very much for being on and uh, we'll look forward to, uh, to checking out everything you've got coming out at fan graphs. Um, do you want to, can you, can you real quick, just, I uh, remember the, the title. Part. Well, just the, the, especially that article, um, the, the Tigers um, season review article that you had recently, and anything else you've got coming up if you want. Uh, well, I, I'm writing my next elegy for the season is the Seattle Mariners, so we can talk about Jerry Depoto and his, his 10 billion trades. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, you can find me at Fangraphs. I'm senior writer for Fangraphs, contributor to ESPN.com, and you can find me at Dzymborski on Twitter. That's D S Z Y M B O R S K I. If you don't know how to spell it, Google will fix it unless you're too far off. <laughs> yep, or just look up Zips projections or something and it, it'll, it'll all come up. 
All right. Thanks a lot for being with me, Dan. Um, you have a good night. We'll talk to you later. You do the same. All right. Bye-bye.